We're in this series uh, from the angel Gabriel, who appears four times and he announces to the people that he comes across, he says, fear not. First, to Zechariah. And he says to Zechariah, fear not, for your prayer has been heard. We talked about the fact that God wants us not to be afraid of unanswered prayer and not to be afraid just because our prayers seem not to be answered, not to be afraid of not being bold and courageous in praying big prayers, God-sized prayers. God wants us to step out in, in our prayer life. And then the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And last week we looked where he said to her, Fear not, Mary. Fear not the impossible, for with God all things are possible. And this week we want to look at Gabriel's appearance to Joseph, where he comes to Joseph and he says, Fear not. Take Mary home as your wife. I don't know, um, those of you who have been married, guys, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like guys get a lot more jitters on that day than girls do. Um, So I don't know if that had something to do with it, but but here we were, here he is, and he's got this incredible situation, conundrum, that he doesn't know what to do with, and the angel comes and he says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Take her home as your wife. The passage is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they they came together, and she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The passage we find right preceding this, of course, is the genealogy of Matthew, the genealogy of Joseph. It seems a little bit strange, if you think about it, to include the genealogy of Joseph since he is not the biological father of Jesus. You might ask, what difference does it make whether he is a descendant of David Uh, King David or not. He is the stepfather. He is the adopted father of Jesus. 
Luke, you go to the Gospel of Luke and you find the genealogy of Mary that goes all the way back to King David and beyond. But in Matthew, you have the genealogy of this man, Joseph. And it dates back and takes him and makes him a descendant of King David. But before I tell you why that is important, I want to talk to you a little bit about Joseph's um, betrothal to Mary. The betrothal would have been arranged by both sets of parents. Perhaps in that culture, perhaps they would not have even consulted Joseph or Mary. It would have just been announced to both of them. That was quite common in that day. Parents set it up, and here it is, and this is your, your person, your spouse for the rest of your life. <laughs> You've got about a year to process that and to get ready. <laughs> and that was the culture of the day. Joseph's parents would have paid the bride price to Mary's parents. And as soon as that price had been paid, the contract became binding. Even though the ceremony was often months away and up to a year away. Consummation of the marriage would not happen until that point. But during the betrothal, they were considered husband and wife legally. Even though they spent very little time together, even though both of them spent that year in training under their parents on how to be a good spouse and all of that and assumed a lot more responsibilities in that household, they spent very little time with each other and they remained sexually pure. Now when I say that the betrothal was binding, I mean that divorce was the only way out of it was not like an engagement that you break off in our culture. In that culture, once you were betrothed, that was a legally binding contract that you had, um, even though you may not have had any say about it. Your parents arranged it, but it was a legally binding contract, and you could not get out of that contract any other way except by divorce. And then you have this shocking detail emerge. With all of that background, it says before they came together, before the wedding day, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now the problem with that phrase is that the pregnancy is very obvious to everyone. That from the Holy Spirit is not quite so obvious to anyone. Even Mary had to have it explained to her. <laughs> so in Luke chapter 1, it tells us that Gabriel had visited Mary and told her of her pregnancy. And the custom was that uh, if a betrothed lady became pregnant, um, that she was to be hauled off to the elders of the Jews and she would have been stoned in earlier times. The Romans, uh, by and large, forbid that, and so they were not allowed to do that. But they were allowed to ostracize and all kinds of other things um, to these, these uh, girls that would have been betrothed and became pregnant. For Mary, in those circumstances, 
knowing her culture and the culture of her day and the horribly embarrassing situation that she was in, for her to say to Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, is an incredibly courageous statement. She knows what has been done to other girls who were pregnant before the wedding day. But she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever, whatever you want to do, God, here I am. Well, that's good for Mary, but what about Joseph? How is he supposed to believe it? Even if she did tell him, and there's no evidence anywhere that Mary even tried to explain this to him. <laughs> I would have loved to have tried to overhear that conversation, wouldn't you? She may have, I don't know. It just, the scriptures just don't tell us whether she tried to explain this to him or not. But how is he supposed to believe it? What is he supposed to do with this information? And this is a reminder to all of us that not everything that we are so convinced of is as we always think it is. <laughs> Can you imagine the mocking public ridicule of Mary in the community when she tells her angelic story of the angel visit and how she got pregnant? And do you think anyone believed Joseph if he tried to say he wasn't the father? But you can't hide pregnancy forever. Joseph only knew that he had not been sexually active with Mary, and he also knew that Mary was pregnant. The thing that was not obvious was that phrase that the child was from the Holy Spirit. And that is when our text begins to teach us a little bit about this man, Joseph. In verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, quite honestly, I much prefer the older NIV um, translation there that lines up with the King James and most other translations when they simply say that Joseph being a righteous man. So I'm going to use that phrase today, righteous man. Luke adds that Joseph was blameless. But here is a righteous and a blameless man who is in a pickle of a situation. It is a major conundrum. His righteousness had to impact the situation that he was in. What's he supposed to do? It was the reason, his righteousness was the reason, that he didn't want to put Mary to public disgrace to have her hauled before the elders and publicly shamed, potentially stoned if they thought they could get away with it. The scripture says that he had it in mind. That's a, that's a little phrase that um, you might 
translate, he seriously pondered and thought about and processed. He gave deep thought to God's will in this awful situation that he was in that he couldn't understand and he couldn't make sense of it. And the angel hadn't talked to him yet. He did not understand why this had happened in his life. But as a righteous man, he could not overlook what appeared to be the sin of his betrothed Mary. And as a righteous man, he also could not shame Mary publicly any more than the pregnancy would itself. So he finally arrived at the conclusion that he should just divorce her quietly, break off the binding engagement. And you will remember that in Matthew, several chapters further in, Jesus taught that marital unfaithfulness was a just cause for divorce. And so with serious thought, but without bitterness and without cruelty, Joseph determines to break off the engagement, the betrothal. And that is when the angel Gabriel appears. Now I want you to notice here, first of all, that in this situation, Joseph, a righteous man, the first thing he did was give some deep, serious thought to what he should do and what would be the Lord's will. Then he decided upon a course of action, and he started heading that direction. It was then that God intervened by sending the, the, the angel Gabriel to him, and the angel says in a dream to him, he says, Joseph, son of David. Remember, he brings that whole thing. Son of David, you're of the lineage of King David. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So righteousness, when we get in messy, difficult situations, does require some deep, serious contemplation and thought. What do we do? How do we live righteously in this difficult situation? Then we have to decide that we have to we can't just do nothing. Righteousness is not just doing nothing, just ignoring the situation. Righteousness eventually takes action, and he started to step out, and he trusted that once he stepped out, God would direct him. A lot of times God doesn't direct us because we, we never get past a serious thought. We never start to take any action, and so God doesn't step out to tell us that you're going the wrong direction or the right direction. And the angel comes and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't go through with the divorce. So righteousness and messiness requires serious thought, requires action, and it requires trust that God will direct you as you move along in the messiness. Now when you look at this text, first... Joseph is not to fear taking Mary as his wife. 
that required obedience that is really embarrassing. It was just embarrassing. The whole situation was embarrassing for Mary. It was embarrassing for Joseph. And there wasn't anybody in that community. It didn't matter how many angels came to Mary and Joseph. There wasn't anyone else that was really going to buy that story. Not in that culture. Not in that day. Not in our day. How many people are out there that don't even believe in the virgin birth? In our culture, in our world today. They weren't going to buy that story. It was Joseph and Mary against the world. (laughs) They were the ones, the only two people on earth that knew and understood what had happened. And I just lost it. So Joseph, he's not supposed to be afraid of taking Mary as his wife. And it's kind of embarrassing. And I want you to just stop and think about that. When God went to send his son into the world... At Christmas, he begins by saving the world in an embarrassing, messy situation. And when God gets ready to finish saving the world, he does it in another humiliating, embarrassing situation. He has the Son of God hanging on a Roman cross, being crucified in front of the eyes of the world. And he introduces it (laughs) with a virgin birth that no one understands, and he ends it on a cross. If somehow you think that following Christ means that your life has to be clean-cut and orderly, you are somehow sadly mistaken. Being a Christian sometimes means that you will be in the middle of a mess. (laughs) And you will have to to figure out what does it mean to be in this mess, in this embarrassing situation, or in this situation that, that no one else understands. What does it mean to be righteous in this mess? In the Mass, God wants us to continue to be faithful and righteous like Joseph. And Joseph defines righteousness for us. He marries his betrothed Mary in obedience. When the angel comes and tells him to flee and go to Egypt, he packs up his bags and his family and he takes off for Egypt. He stands spends two years there, and then the angel comes again and tells him that you can return to Israel now. And immediately he gets up and he goes, and we never hear one word spoken by Joseph in the scriptures. He is often called quiet Joseph. His speech, his only speech, is simply obedience to God. There is nothing pharisaical about Joseph. There is no show anywhere in his life. He lives not for the pleasure of anyone else, but he lives for the audience of one, the Lord. He lives for God alone. 
And that is the beginning of the definition of righteousness. Who do you live to please and to honor? A righteous person lives for an audience of one. Living to please God in the midst of all the messy situations we get ourselves into, we live to honor and please God. So what is righteousness? We see it lived out in the life of Joseph. He was obedient to God and he was unconditionally loving to people. In the midst of all the hurt and the questions that came with Mary being pregnant and him knowing that he wasn't the father, not knowing how it happened, not understanding anything, he had unconditional love for Mary even at that point, even in that culture. And I think that's a pretty good definition of righteousness. Total obedience to God and unconditional love for people. Even when we don't understand all of their actions. Joseph does what God tells him to do. God tells him to, to get married. He does that. And he loves Mary even when she's pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. Secondly, this passage tells us. Tells Joseph that the source of the baby is the Holy Spirit. It's not some other man. It's the Holy Spirit. And the way the scripture does that, the way that the angel says that is, is unique. He says, which is conceived in her. And it emphasizes the fact that life begins at conception. Jesus was fully human at conception, along with every other baby in the womb. This passage also teaches us something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the beginning of Jesus in the womb, and the Holy Spirit is the beginning of life, the life of Jesus in each one of our hearts. It all starts with divine initiative. It does not start with human initiative. Jesus being born in the womb of Mary, Mary didn't have anything to do with that. It wasn't her initiative. It was the Holy Spirit's initiative. And when God makes his home in us, it is because God has taken the initiative. He is the one who sent Jesus to die on a cross so that we might know him. And he is the one that brings us to that point of salvation, readying us and making us ready to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is the Holy Spirit that, that brings Christ down to earth and makes him human for us. And it is also the Holy Spirit that takes him at, at, at the ascension and lifts him up and, and presents him and shows off his divinity at the ascension. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus truly human. Other false spirits, other false cults and teachers will make Jesus so spiritual that he is kind of like a helium balloon that floats above us rather than dwelling among us. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that wants to make Jesus real in your life so that he walks with you through whatever mess you're in in life. He wants to be there. And the Holy Spirit is the one that causes that to happen. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. These cults, these false teachers will deny his humanity, but Jesus was from the Holy Spirit, and he was from the Virgin Mary, and he was God-made man. E. Stanley Jones, the great Methodist missionary to um, India decades ago, said, we are like figures on a chessboard. The game for God would be simple if we would simply go where he goes. Can you imagine playing chess and you move, move one of them and it moves back because they didn't want to go there? <laughs> that wouldn't be much of a game uh, for you. And, and, and so he says, you know, we're kind of like figures on a chessboard. The game would be easy for God. He knows how to win the game. But when he moves us, do we stay there? Or do we want to go somewhere else? Sometimes it's our disobedience that keeps God from winning the battles that lead to great victories in our world. The third thing you notice in this text is that Joseph is to name the baby boy, and he is to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that takes us full circle all the way back to where we started Joseph naming Jesus provides the reason uh, why the genealogy for Joseph is provided. You see, in in Jewish culture, to adopt somebody meant that you always named them. If they already had a name, you renamed them and you gave them their name. Jesus became Joseph's son, his legal son, when he named him Jesus. And so he becomes a son of David, of King David, through that process when Joseph named him. Um, But he was also a son of King David through Mary's line also. Now just as a side note, something you didn't need to know this morning, but you're going to (laughs) know anyway, is that no Jew today... Um, can trace their genealogical records back to King David. Um, All of those records were stored in the temple of Jerusalem, and they were destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And so, you know, right up and through our New Testament era is the last records that, that we have in the world of those kind of records and here we have the, the Messiah. We have the records of the Lord Jesus Christ from both sides of his family going all the way back uh, to King David on um, Joseph's side and all the way back to Adam on on Mary's side um, through that line. Now, when you look at the genealogy in Matthew, it's very careful in the wording. If you go back to the King James, it uses the word begat. Um, The NIV and a lot of the newer translations will talk about so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, and and that's the way it goes on. But when it gets down and follows that path all the way through the genealogy, and you get down to verse 16 in the genealogy, and all of a sudden it changes course. 
And it, it, it does something it doesn't do anywhere else in the genealogy. It simply says, and Joseph was simply the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus the Messiah. Very clearly giving us clear distinction that Joseph was not the biological father, but only the legal father of Jesus. And so without the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus would have been only human, just the son of Mary. Without Mary, Jesus would have been only divine. But Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. He is sinless so that he can save. If he had been um, only human, he couldn't save us any more than you can save me or I can save you. We have no power to do that. But because he is God, he can save. And because he is human, because he is the son of the Virgin Mary, he can save his people, all of us. Some find the virgin birth too hard to believe. When Jesus has made a difference in your life, a lot of those uh, mysteries of the Bible are no longer real problems for us. There is a story uh, that John Wesley would tell um, Back in the coal mining days in, in England, the converted miner in the Wesleyan movement in 18th century England was asked by mocking uh, co-workers if he believed that Jesus changed the water into wine. And he replied, well, I don't really know if Jesus changed water into wine, but I know that he changed beer into furniture in my house. And he said, the personal miracle disposes you to believe the biblical miracle. I want to challenge you during this Christmas season to fear not praying big prayers. Fear not believing God for the impossible, for with God all things are possible. And then fear not Obedience. The Christian life can be very messy because you live in a fallen world. It can be messy even if you're only surrounded by Christians because <laughs> we're all fallen people and we all do crazy things. The Christian life can be very messy. But for the person who has a a genuine desire to be righteous and blameless. We have to remember that not everything is as we happen to see it. And we have to choose to be obedient to God, to live for that audience of one, and be unconditionally loving towards the people around us. In messiness, we have to give serious thought to how we should conduct ourselves in a way that pleases God. And then we have to bring ourselves to act, to actually do something 
and trust that as we move in that direction, that God will speak to us and he will direct us and he will let us know if we're heading in the wrong direction. And if you are sincerely wanting to follow God, he will be there to direct you. We are reminded by Joseph that righteousness is not flashy. It's not pharisaical. It's not for the show. It's non-flashy, quiet obedience to God combined with unconditional love for people. Even when we can't make sense of all of their actions. And then lastly, I want to say that the Holy Spirit brings God to be with us in the messes in which we live. And he brings God to us to be our Savior from sin. I want you to notice that there is a preposition that is used there. He does not say that he is the Savior of sin. So that you just sprinkle Jesus on your life to give a little bit more flavor and continue in your life of sin. He says he is the Savior from sin. So when Jesus comes into our life, he wants to begin to root out and get rid of sin in our life. Not just season it, not just cover it up so that you can't see it or mask it. He wants to deliver us from it. So this morning, God is calling us not to be fearful of obedience to Him.